You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrds.nl. And now, let's get into the podcast. Good morning. Good morning, everybody online as well. So, it's the second Sunday of Advent, and uh, we're looking forward to Christmas. And in this time, um, as we're approaching Christmas, we're, we're preaching on the names or, or some of the names that have been given to Jesus or some of the titles that have been given to Jesus. And then last week, we looked at Emmanuel, God with us. Stefan looked at it with us. And then this week, we're going to look at Savior. And when we look at all these names, we get different angles and different glimpses of, of who Jesus is and why he came and, and about his character different aspects of it. So today we look at Savior, and uh, because it's Advent, let's dive into the Christmas story in Luke 2, just part of it. Let's read together. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior. The word Savior stirs up images of uh, superheroes, people wearing capes, of, of someone riding on a, a prince on a horse coming from the, for the princess, right? But right here, we see a much different story, a much humbler story. We see a savior not in a cape, but wrapped in cloth. Not some kind of a a movie star with a toned body, but a little baby. Not riding on a horse, but lying in the in the the food trough of a horse in a manger. A very different story. Yet we also have signs of a big cosmic battle here, right? We see angels showing up. Heralding the arrival of the Lord. First as one, and as he's talking to the shepherds, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. This is not the angel we see on Christmas cards. This is not one sitting on a cloud playing a harp. No, this is a, is a warrior type. And they were terrified. And then as he was done talking, many more show up, a whole army of, of angels, and with their impressive voices, they're praising the Lord. 
So if the, if the, the shepherds didn't get it with the one angel, now they're getting it. The birth of this little baby is something very significant on a cosmic scale, causing a great number of angels to praise the Lord. And they use the name Savior, Lord, Messiah, and it places this baby in a much bigger story, even opening a new chapter in that story. So let's look at that together. So here we see an enormous spectacle of angels announcing the arrival of the king, of, of the savior, a, 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 a cosmic, big cosmic news, so to say. Yet who's there to witness it? A bunch of shepherds whose testimony in court wasn't even accepted. I guess they were considered that unreliable. Now, if you want to announce big cosmic news, if you want everybody to know these days, what would you do? You go uh, on social media, you post it on a channel that has many followers, right? Not just five or six. Yet this is what's happening here. The, so the choice of God to announce it this way gives us a hint to the way this Savior will operate in an undercover kind of way. Yet there was this impressive visit of the angels but the message needs to be spread through these shepherds the savior is not going to use his superpowers his wealth his influence to to achieve his mission so what's the story of this savior what makes him the focal point of this cosmic battle that's a big story it begins all the way at the beginning of the bible it's a love story of a lover coming after his loved one to save her and the whole story we read in the old testament up until the gospels lead up to the announcements of the birth of this baby the bible starts with in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth so it begins at the beginning of time first john also starts like that in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. We get a glimpse of God in this text. Not of a God who's all by himself before he created anything. No, there, there seems to be a relationship within God. An image of intimacy, of fellowship, of cooperation, of shared purpose. And together they create life and they give life. Everything finds its beginning in God who is himself eternal. So the story begins with something relational, someone relational, a big cosmic relational being, three in one. Always giving, always sharing with one another, always loving one another. Always listening to one another, yielding to one another, wanting the best for one another. Perfect unity, perfect community. And then God decided to create heaven and earth. God, in his unimaginable creativity, fold up light and land and sea and mountains and waterfalls and meadows and forests, all of astonishing beauty. And then he fills the sea with fish of all kinds of shapes and forms and, and the land with all kinds of elephants, uh, <laughs> elephants, animals, including elephants. 
and cats and dogs, all kinds of living things, all interdependent upon each other. And then God says, let's top this off. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created humankind in his image. Perfect, the perfect unity, the perfect community that is in God, he desired for mankind. He created them in his image. Yet he, he created distinction within mankind, male and female, to reflect his image. Because there's diversity within God. Where there are three distinct persons, yet he's one. God's desire from the beginning is that there will be distinction within mankind, but that there will be perfect unity. Unity within mankind, but also unity between God and mankind. Mankind included in this perfect unity that God has within himself. Unity that can only be achieved by love. God is love, and in his love, he cannot help but wanting to give, wanting to include, to have others taste and see and experience this, this love, perfect love. Something we have a hard time imagining and understanding because all the loves we know are imperfect. <coughs> Yet God wants us to know this love. He wants for us to be able to give and experience this love ourselves to to love him back and therefore he has given us the greatest treasure in all creation he has given us a heart think about it what a treasure it is all the happiness you've ever experienced all the happiness you ever hope to experience is unattainable without a heart you could not live or love or cry or laugh without a heart the heart is something very special. And it's the very thing God is after. He intends for us to be his intimate allies. He wants our hearts to be in tune with his. And God creating us was an act of love. He wants nothing more for us to love him back. To have that same intimacy with him that he already knows within himself to include us in that. But in order for that to happen, God does something amazing. He gives us freedom. Freedom to choose otherwise. Freedom to reject Him. C perfect love requires freedom. We can't coerce others to love us. Love needs to be given freely. So God gave us a will of our own. And He does that while He knows what can happen. He's been there before. Before the creation of the world, he'd already created heavenly beings. We see them show up in the story. There's angels. And when we read the Gospels, there we see Jesus encountering the devil and, and demons and stuff. So what's the backstory there? God created these heavenly beings, all perfect, all beautiful. And one in particular, one referred to as the morning star, was so beautiful and raised to such a high position that he became arrogant and proud. 
And he turned away from God. And in his fall, he took many angels with him. And now we have this cosmic battle on our hands. God has been here before. He's given his creation free will. The freedom to choose whether or not to love him back. But somehow, freedom of choice is required for love to flourish. Even required for love to exist. So when he created mankind, he gave us all that freedom. Now, these in this cosmic battle, the forces of evil convince mankind and the Eve to turn their hearts away from God, to serve themselves. And God found them hiding in the garden. Stefan talked about it last week, right? The perfect bond between God and man is broken. Mankind is now separated from God. Now, with God, there's life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the source of life, the giver of life. Apart from him, there is no life. So, so death entered the picture. And we are in trouble. Perfect love only works if your heart is completely set on the other person. No other loyalties. An undivided heart, so to speak. That's God's heart for us. He loves us unconditionally. No matter what you do, you can't make him love you more. No matter what you do, you can't make him love you less. You hear that? He loves you. No, and he knows you completely. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he loves you. That's the loving unconditionally is the only way how this how this perfect unity is going to work. Jesus said in his the greatest commandment is this that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, with everything that's in you, with everything that you are. Undivided. And our neighbor as ourselves. Because the expression of our love for God is how we love our neighbors. And Jesus expands that concept of neighbors to include everybody, even our enemies. Now, I know, I'm in trouble. And God knows we're in trouble. From the moment he found Adam and Eve hiding, he knew we were in trouble. So, um, we had gone off wandering in the dark. In the pitch black darkness. You can't see a hand in front of your face. You can't find your way back. Our hearts aren't even able to, to turn back to God. So God launched this rescue mission. A mission to save his creation, to save mankind. A mission to win our hearts back. In Revelations, described as a bridegroom coming for his bride. Now, God has a problem, because how do you win someone's heart? He's God, we're just people. He's powerful, we're not. Now, I don't have much experience, well, I don't have any experience of this. Suppose you're rich, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not poor, but I'm not that rich that I need to wonder, are my friends really my friends? Who are my friends? Are they my friends because of me, or are they friends because of my money? I'm dating someone, is she after my money or is, does I actually have her love? Or if you're very powerful and you're so powerful that people are really in awe of you, you can make and break careers. And you, you, you see a woman that you want to get to know better or a man you want to get to know better. How do you know 
he or she is really after your heart? Or does she want a piece of your power? Or are they just afraid of you and they can't say no? You see, God is all-powerful. But the problem is he loves and that complicates his life. He wants our hearts. Now, one of the biggest problems people have with God is that he should act. There's so much suffering. Why isn't he doing something? You see now a little bit that this, he can't just ride into town wearing his cape, doing his powerful things. Because will he win our hearts that way? Yet God is very concerned about our circumstances. He sees the injustice. He sees the evil. He sees the suffering in the world. And he promises to put an end to it. He promises that justice will be done. That one day heaven and earth will be made new. The cosmic battle will end in victory for God. At the end of the book of Isaiah, a book full of prophecies about the coming Savior. We read it. He says, see, I will create new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. How's that for hope? There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we won't even remember all the bad stuff. God will make everything new. Now, as part of that, there will be a day of judgment, which is both hopeful, because justice will be done, but it's also frightening, because as we just saw, I'm in trouble. We all have gone astray. No way we can stand by ourselves on a day like that. So now it becomes a bit clearer what kind of savior we need. One that can save us from judgment. Because justice needs to get done. And justice will be based on where our hearts are at. A heart that loves God will express itself in loving others. Loving those around us. And if you can't love those around you, can't, you don't really love God. He's seeking an undivided heart. You see, we need a Savior that will get, give us the ability to love. As we read in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. A Savior that will give us the ability to love God again with the help of of the Spirit, God Himself. After the disaster with Adam and Eve, we see God slowly but surely working out His plan. He makes Himself known. He first chooses one man that will grow into a nation, and out of that nation comes a Savior that, that will save the whole world. So He chooses Abraham, and He teaches him lessons about who He is, and that He wants His heart he promises Abraham that he will become a large nation, that through that nation, the world will be blessed. Abraham and Sarah will get a son, but Abraham had no children. And long after it was humanly possible to have children, God was still repeating this promise to Abraham. And God believed him, and it was credited as righteousness to him. Abraham's heart was with God. And then in his old age, he did get a son, Isaac. And as Isaac grew older, God tested Abraham. 
to see where his heart was at. And he said, are you willing to sacrifice your son, to give your son up? And Abraham's heart was with God. In Hebrews 11, we read, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your seed will be reckoned. Abram reasoned that God could raise the dead. He trusted God so much that he knew things would work out no matter what God would ask of him. When everything seemed lost, when life was confusing, when nothing made sense, he trusted God to do the impossible, to keep his promises, even if it meant raising Isaac from the dead. Now, when God saw Abram's faith, he provided a substitute in the form of a ram that Abram then could sacrifice instead of his son, pointing forward to the ultimate substitute, a descendant of Isaac 1,600 years later, another miraculous birth, this time to a virgin, our Lord Jesus was born. And God would sacrifice this son for us. We see the same heart of the father in Jesus as we saw in Abraham. When things looked hopeless, when he was led to the cross to die, he trusted that the father had a plan and that things would work out. And indeed, he was raised back to life. Now, we know all how out of Abraham a nation grew. His, uh, his grandchild, Jacob, went to Egypt during famine. This, um, his descendants became numerous. Pharaoh started suppressing them, making them into slaves. And then God chose Moses to lead them out of Egypt. And as a nation, they learned many lessons about God. They were given the law, which can be summarized as love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. God is after our hearts. And God warned them what would happen if they did not love him when they were in their new land, the promised land. And when they settled there, they got kings, king after king, some good, some bad, but progressively bad. And they turned away from God, and sure enough, things didn't go well with them. They were suppressed by the surrounding countries. They went into exile. And in their suffering, they called out to God. And God heard them. And he sent prophets announcing that one day a Savior would come. All these prophecies telling us of a coming Savior. Isaiah tells us about a Messiah that will look very different. It's not one that would change our circumstances so much, but it is a, is a suffering servant. Now, I'm racing through this story. It's not very detailed. I skip over many things. But by the time Jesus was born, the people were eagerly awaiting for a Savior. Many were looking for a Savior with a cape that would change their circumstances. There's this story that told by a theologian, Kierkegaard, who once told the story of a, of a mighty king who was in love with a humble maiden, a, a poor girl living in a shack in the woods. How could he declare his love for her? His kingliness got in the way. If he brought her to his palace, 
and you know, adorned her head with jewels, robed her in, in royal robes, she would surely not say no. But would she love him? Or he could ride up to her shack in the woods, followed by many servants and uh, you know, trumpets, horses, displaying his power and his wealth. But, but that might overwhelm her, and he didn't want a cringing subject, right? He wanted a lover. So what did the king do? The mighty king disguised himself as a poor beggar and went to a door in the woods to win her heart. You see, this is a parable of the coming king of Jesus of Nazareth. God himself taking on human flesh, entering a story, uh, our story as one of us. He set aside his glory, he set aside his power, he clothed himself in humility and sneaks into the enemy camp under cover, under cover of darkness to whisper the words, I've come for you. I have come for you. Will the humble maiden give him her heart? He's taking a big risk, but he wants her to be free to choose. And so also Jesus came to us. Hebrews 2, we read, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that's the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abram's descendants. And for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Stefan talked about this last week. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. The hero of the story, the savior, is not mighty, not shiny, not powerful, but in a manger, poor, vulnerable, one of us, to come after our hearts, to give back our freedom. We were held in slavery, this text says. And we're, we're not free, but now we're able, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to choose for God again. That we would love Him. Not for what He can give us, but because, not because He's the most powerful, but, but because He loved us first. That we would love Him for who He is. So you read in Jeremiah 24, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, I will be their God, and they will return to me with all their heart. God created us in freedom to be his intimate allies. And he will not give up on us. He seeks his allies still. Not not in religion, not in good church people, but, but lovers, allies, friends. A savior undercover. He came to win our hearts, to give us the ability and the freedom to love him back. So although he has no cape, do you trust he has the power? Do you trust he wants the best for you? Do you trust that he accepts you? And loves you. Do you trust that one day it will all turn out all right? That justice will be done and that peace and healing will come. That we will be truly free.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of your immense love, of the risk you took to save our hearts. Lord, we long to save you, to love you back, to experience this unity that you have within yourself, to get to know your heart. Lord, thank you for coming to earth undercover to win our hearts. Thank you for your spirit to give us the ability to love you back. Help us to love those around us, to reflect your love into this world in this way. Thank you, Lord, that one day you will come back to put everything right. We're longing to see that day. And help us to live each day in anticipation of your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.